0: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's another coming of age film by Greta Gerwig, and this time it's the seventh film adaptation. This is going to be amazing, you guys. We're here to talk all about little women on today's Anatomy of a Movie. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie.
0: Ooh, fun music today. (laughs) Hey. We're so excited to be back, you guys, from the long break. Uh, I got to catch up on all my movie viewing experiences uh, during the past three weeks. Uh, And it's been really fun, you guys. We're happy to be back here to talk about Little Women. And uh, just keep in mind, you guys, that it is going to be a spoiler-filled review show. So if you haven't watched the movie yet, I highly, highly, highly recommend Little Women um watch it come back to our show put this on pause and you can watch our spoiler filled review Uh, later. With that being said, I am your host, Mina Nadine, and to my left we have Tara Erickson, who is an actor. Um, You love movies. You always have great analysis with movies, and I love the comic relief
1: you bring to every single
0: show that we Ah, have here. (laughs) I love
1: it. A lot of pressure. Hopefully I'm funny today, you guys. I'm a little tired, but I'm so happy to be here. Little Women is such a good film.
0: So you saw Little Women a while ago, Mm -hmm. but I saw it yesterday, so it's a little fresh for me. Um, I feel like it's one of those movies that, you know, is going to stand the test of time just because there have been seven film adaptations, which is crazy, which means it's a classic. It's going to continuously be remade. Uh, What were your initial thoughts after watching Little Women?
1: I didn't think that I was going to be as, oh, wowed by the actual conversations in this film that are actually so modern that everyone can take home that I think we can all relate to. Like, when you hear Little Women, you're like, that's old, like, uh, that's like an old story, like, oh, who cares? Um, Even though the story is great, uh, because there's been so many adaptations, but the way that Greta wrote it... um, It's just I took it all to heart. I cried a lot. I just felt like I could really relate to um, just the struggles and the way that it was written. It was done in a different way, a little bit more of a modern take, and I thoroughly enjoyed that
0: hmm I totally agree with that because I feel like normally you go into a movie like this and you think someone's going to be like, Hello, darling. How are you today? Right. Oh, this is so wonderful. And, like, you feel like it's going to be, you know, something with a lot of overacting, I guess. But I thought it was so fascinating that it was so relatable. And I watched it in a packed theater last night. And everybody was laughing during these scenes And I feel like that's so rare for a movie that takes place, you know, during the Civil War. This is taking place during 1861 to probably about 1868. The Civil War ended in 1865. So it's not that – it's not supposed to be that relatable of a period. This is a period piece. It's a coming-of-age story. And at the same time, we can relate to these characters – even though there's there's no diversity because of the, right. the time period that it is, it's not like we see like people of color in the film. There's like one black person the entire film, but it's indicative of the times. Um, and at the same time, we can still relate to these women because there's so many different types of women within these sisters, and I feel like there's something in it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do want to do a character-by-character character analysis of this film. I kind of want to go through the characters and kind of see, like, who we found to be the most relatable. Is there one character in particular before we get started that you really felt resonated with you?
1: Definitely Joe, but I feel like everyone's going to say that. I don't know. Um, yeah, she has one, just one quote, just right off the top of my head, not one that I've, I've sent in, but um, that she's asking her sister to not get married because she's like uh, something something about her and the marriage and her being with him but like will be interesting forever mm-hmm. and I was like that's so true yeah. like if you think about your your best friends I don't even have any sisters I'm a I'm an only child but if you think about your your very close good friends you're like anything could happen in this relationship with this guy or even your partner um but like will be interesting forever (laughs) and you're like that's such a good line and i relate to that so much um and uh i mean there's a lot of other things that have sold me on joe but that line specifically is is a great one
0: yeah yeah i get that i feel like joe also for me uh not so much her rebellious nature but just like the struggle that she feels of like why can't i just be a writer and be creative like why do i have to get married why is this being like shoved down my throat like that was it just resonated so much with me of like feeling like marriage isn't the end-all be-all. Like, that's not what I have to aspire to. There's so much more that we can do as women. And there are other quotes you're going to read later on that she says about, you know, us having hearts and minds and souls. And it was such a beautiful scene, and we'll get to that later. But it's just, like, she had such an incredible performance. I feel like Saoirse Ronan really stole the show. And it's the way the character is written, but it's also her performance. And there's just such a high level of authenticity to it where – there's so much realness like she's not just like this super tough girl all the time like she shows a lot of vulnerability talks about being lonely such a real conversation with her mom and then talks about you know I really want to just be loved and just that feeling of like you know even if I don't love someone like it's so nice to just feel loved and like I feel like a lot of women can relate to that even though that might be embarrassing to to articulate but she articulated it so well like I just I don't want to be alone but I I'm so bold and I have a writing career and I do this and I do that and I I felt everything she felt in those scenes like I felt it so deeply and um just like looking at her interactions with her other sisters I was just like all these performances were so great um You know, hers was more of a bold performance, but I felt like her sisters um, had more nuanced performances, but still great performances. So I do want to get to that as well. Um, And let's, like, go through the character list a bit. Let's go through the the different sisters, and let's start out with Beth, um, because I feel like Beth is, like, the the silent one that is still very pivotal Mm -hmm. to the the story. She's kind of on the quieter side. Uh, What was your perception of her initially?
1: Um... I think the biggest scene for me in regards to Beth, the one that stuck with me, was that um, she was actually a a true driving force in regards to Joe continuing to write and writing nonetheless. She would ask Joe to read to her, and uh, I remember Joe saying something like, I haven't written in a while. Um, And she's like, but your your stories are the best. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that was Beth who said that. Forgive me if it was the other sister. I doubt it. I'm pretty sure it's Beth. And Beth was like the driving force behind Joe, which... Um, I think made the impact of her dying that much stronger because Joe is sort of the force field of the story, uh, especially with her performance. But there are moments there that she had with Beth that she did not have with any other sister that um, was not the same chemistry and bond um, and that relationship was drawn out within less than 10 sentences but felt very strongly, which I think is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, – I think Eliza uh, Scanlon um, did a good job with that. But that was the – probably the emotional part that I liked the most about Beth, that Beth was a little bit more like her mom. She's the closest one. So <laughs> to me, to Marmy. Um, so once Beth is gone, it's kind of left uh, to Marmy to hold these gals together. but mm-hmm. I think Beth was the one who actually had most of the soul like like her mom so it's would be it's sad to see that kind of sad to see any daughter go, but you guys get what I'm saying. Sad to see her go because she actually truly at heart I think would have been the glue that keeps the family together once mom goes away
0: mm-hmm. I see that, too, and I think it's, like, that purity of, like, when everyone else is fighting, she's kind of the one who's there on the sidelines, who's so quiet and angelic, and, you know, you can't help but, like, unconditionally love somebody like that. Um, did you ever read the little women book by Louisa may Alcott
1: I don't think that I did uh I also have a terrible memory <laughs> okay. um when I watched it I was like did I read this in like middle school yeah. but honestly guys don't remember yeah uh, I also don't remember what I ate for breakfast so you know so for me
0: I didn't read the book and this was like my very first introduction to little women and I know for a lot of people it's such a beloved book and then they also love the other film adaptations um but after doing some research I found out that in the books uh Beth's character was portrayed as like you know so angelic and so pure and there was like another portrayal by Claire Danes in the 1994 adaptation where she's like very very over the top pure and I feel like with what people are saying that this performance is a little bit more authentic because you see like different sides to the character where even at the you know the Christmas breakfast scene where she kind of seems like reluctant to want to give her food away but then she's like okay like I guess we'll like give it away she kind of has that vibe so she has like kind of this relatable innocent vibe um where you feel like everything that comes out of her mouth and her facial expressions is pure honesty and I don't think you fully get that with the characters in the same way that's so pure so that's why I was wondering if you you read the book because I haven't but I still kind of predicted that there would be this imminent death the Mm -hmm. second she had the scarlet fever um but there were scenes where we we're kind of like on our toes. I don't know if you felt it where everything's like fine and dandy and the family's together and you're like, oh, okay, I guess she's fine. She's not going to die and her face is fully cleared up. Mm-hmm. And then she does die. But I don't know if that's because of the the way the movie is structured where it's not all taking place in the present day. There's a lot of back and forth in the story. Mm-hmm. Or if it's because her skin really did clear up and then she did die. I'm a little... That's like the one thing with this movie that threw me off is that I'm a little confused with the chronology of events because I haven't read the books and because I haven't seen the other film adaptations. Right. Um, and that's the one thing that threw me off. But it's also the one thing that I really did appreciate about the movie because I feel like the constant back and forth where you're not sure where you're situated in time makes you feel like, okay, there's one moment that's so pure where all the sisters are together and then there's never a moment in time again where that can be replicated because they all grow up and they all have their own lives and they e- they either get married or, you know, live the rest of their lives into adulthood or, you know, Beth dies. And it was nice to see the back and forth because we're not stuck in a moment in time where they're all separate we always can revisit the times when they're together. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I thought that was a really great choice on director Greta Gerwig's part to have it where you can always revisit that beautiful memory and you don't have to just like have a moment in time where it's completely gone. Um, I I know... Uh, for you did you pick up on that like at all like just like the the little subtleties of it because I think it's really subtle and it's really hard to to spot
1: yeah um I think the reason that there is those flashbacks there is to see their actual true bonding how they really were as younger sisters and how close they were they were like a tribe meaning when you get a glimpse into their lives of like acting out um whatever like the play that they were doing um that each one had a role and they they weren't really fighting it just it felt more like skip to a movie if i could think of the name like a s- sisterhood of traveling pants yeah. it felt like it was just not sisters but a bunch of girls who were like let's do this thing and we're like in a tree house it felt like their bond was so strong because they were all they had but they didn't take it for granted, at least not when they were younger. So the flashbacks, to me, were giving everyone a slice of life in regards to this is how they actually were, and they were actually, like, really good pretty much most of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're sisters, so there's going to be ups and downs. But I enjoyed the flashbacks to see how... um, I guess, enjoyable, their life was before things go wrong. But maybe that's everybody's childhood? No, I don't think so. I think the little women, they had it they had it really good when they were younger, and it was just a nice thing to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you talked about things going wrong right now, and immediately my mind just, like, jumped to Amy, mm-hmm. uh, one of the other sisters. And I feel like I kind of had, like, a weird introduction to Amy, you know, played by Florence Pugh, because... At first, I wasn't sure how to feel about her. And then there was the scene where she, like, out of her rage and, like, you know, wanting to have, like, retribution against Joe, she goes and takes Joe's very precious writing materials and burns it one by one. And with each paper that she burns, I was like, I hope she burns in hell. I was was so angry watching that scene. It was so upsetting. And I kept thinking, it kind of, like brought me into the time period even more because i was like there's no google doc she can save it to like this is the only copy everything is handwritten the amount of effort that joe had to put into like writing it on that sheet of paper and coming up with the idea and you even notice her hiding it in the drawers right Mm -hmm. like to show like how precious it is to her and for that to be just ripped away where it's something that you can't replicate was so heartbreaking to watch and it made me hate like I've never felt that but it really made me hate Amy I, agree. And I never thought I could come back from that moment and the fact that I did come back from that moment just showed how exceptional the, the story was told and how the characters weren't painted as like these black and white characters.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think if it was a different story, um Joe's payback would be I know that you love Lori, uh, but he loves me. So I'm gonna take him and see you later. Yeah. Cause that one time you burned my entire book. <laughs> um that it that's my thought of like, oh, payback. Like Joe could just uh pop yeah. in there and be like, I'm gonna take Lori back. Uh I'm glad that doesn't happen. I agree that um The the way the story is written to get you back on Amy's side that you you do realize like her intentions that specifically was like outrageous. And you're like, I hate her. I would run home and she would get hurt. Right. Because you're just like, wow, all that work and effort. Um, But also Amy is written in a way that uh, femininity and um, being a girl during that time to be like a girly girl was different mm-hmm. but she stuck to it and that's like who she was and she didn't feel um, embarrassed by it she just sort of owned up to it like making a mold of her foot and painting her nails and being <laughs> yeah. being that girl in that time um, sort of made you respect her where you were like oh I, I don't think she's doing it for attention I think she sure partially because she likes boys but I think it's just who she is mm-hmm. and um, for her heart to be damaged in a way of, like, why can't I go to the theater? To her, to Amy, who's been set up as that character and not being able to go to the theater, which is, like, kind of matches her personality way more than Joe and... Meg. Meg. um, That I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure the rage within her of, like, I understand the theater probably more than them or she would, I don't know, she just seems... To be a character that would fit in the theater more than those two. That that I can understand why she was overcome with just too much emotion. Um, Yeah, that's why they're all written so well. Because you do eventually come back and you're like, oh, makes sense. I
0: also thought that the fact that she knew to burn the papers because it would be the only thing that could get Joe. She she has, like, this really interesting line that she says that's kind of funny but also really painful where she's like, I knew I couldn't burn any of your dresses because you don't care about that and I knew this is the only thing that would actually affect you because I couldn't think of anything else that I could get back at you with. It just kind of shows how, like, like the character Joe like, will cut her hair and do something for the greater good and you kind of see how, like, the things that are the most valuable to her are, you know, her intellectual property. Like, that is so sacred to her. It's something she places above all else. And for that to just be taken away, like, was so hard to watch. But you also see that Joe's not that, like, black and white of a character either. Because when she does cut her hair, you know, she's so rough and tough about it. And then we have a scene where she's just breaking down crying and the sister's like, why are you crying? And she's like, because I cut my hair. And they feel, like, this deep sense of empathy. Like, oh, I understand. Yeah. Like, I understand the pain. And that moment was so pure and beautiful because it shows, like, she is a girl, like, coming... It is a coming-of-age story. She is, like, navigating this world. She still does have, like, properties of being, like, feminine, even if it's not the archetype of what a woman should be like back then. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love that Amy... um, You know, even though she is like this very feminine character, she's not this docile character because you shouldn't, you know, conflate femininity with, you know, being docile. She is very strong. You know, when Timothy Chalamet's character comes into the picture and upsets her, she doesn't just take it. She tells him off. Mm -hmm. You know, she's very honest with her emotions and feelings. Uh, She doesn't let him walk all over her. And she still has this beautiful vulnerability of being able to tell him, you know, hey, I've loved you forever, and I'm not going to be second to my sister, Joe. I'm not going to be, you know, your safety net. And I thought that was beautiful, too, because she's speaking her truth and being super vulnerable and putting pride aside and just saying how she feels. And there's, like, all these different layers, you know, to the performance. And, like, how can you do that in a story where, like, you know, each sister is supposed to have, like, this caricature, of themselves, like, you know, the shy one, the bold one, the girly one, the goody two shoes. But, like, no, it's more than just that. And, you know, getting to Meg, who is like the old, the the eldest mm-hmm. sister, who is like, you know, the mature one, we still see her kind of have this reaction when her hair gets burned off with the curling iron, like, oh my God, no. And she's still trying to keep it together. So, what were your, th- your thoughts of Meg, uh, who was played by Emma Watson.
1: Um, yeah, I liked her a lot only because I, I really enjoyed her point of view in regards to she's actually going to be with someone she loves even though her life is going to be very hard. So she's making a choice not to settle, which I thoroughly enjoy. Joe did the, the same thing. And I think even at the end you realize you kind of think Amy is settling or Lori is settling on, on Amy until you get a little bit further along. Um, And I appreciate that their storylines really all have to do with like not uh, settling. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think Meg was the first one to start that. And she decided to continue to live um, a rough life with a guy who, you know loves her but can't really thoroughly provide which day to day that has to be hard if all you're you're floating on is love
0: mm-hmm. um
1: they say love is all you need but uh, mm, probably <laughs> not um yeah so i i respect her as a character
0: yeah and i mean we do we do see glimpses of her like wanting to live this you know elite lifestyle where Uh, instead of Meg, she becomes Daisy. And, you know, Lori sees Daisy and he's like, you're Daisy now? Like, what? And she's just like, please don't tell Joe. Like, she knows that, you know, she feels a certain degree of shame for wanting to change her identity, even if it's on this, like, very surface level uh, platform of, you know, wanting to be this socialite. But we see how loved she is by people, even, you know, by these people who are from a higher social class than she is where they're just like, take my dress, please, Meg, and, like, people so easily gravitate towards her, and I think she does have, like, this charm about her, where she's kind of an understated character, but she's someone that feels very solid, like, someone that you can rely on, someone that you can trust, I feel like that's what she brings to the table. And I think some people were upset with Emma Watson's performance because they felt like it was the weakest. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely think that that's just how the character is written. I think that, you know, obviously, for me at least, Saoirse Ronan stole the show. Because she's Joe, and she's the character that's such a badass. And then, you know, we have Amy, who, like, is kind of hateable in the beginning because of what she does, and you're just annoyed with her. Um, And then, obviously, Beth is, like, so sweet, but she's not the one that stands out the most. So then Meg is just kind of, like, on the sidelines, and you're like, oh you know, Hermione, cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so. I, think her, I think her biggest redeeming quality uh, in regards to her character and the way that it was written is that she does want to get material for a dress, but then she um, ends up selling it and selling it back and making the money back. Um, so that really weeds it together of like, yeah, Meg's probably the most reliable one. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's strong, steady, and reliable, and unfortunately, she's taken... Um, So she's not the sister around that can actually help the other three before they are. I mean, she's still around, but she's still taken by a dude um, who doesn't make a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, I I think that specific scene of her being like, I sold it, and he's like, you did. Um, She's a reliable person that if she makes a bad decision, I think she's probably going to be the one to rectify that decision in the best way possible, besides Marmy Mom.
0: Yes. And let's talk about Marmee, uh, played by Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we find out that she's kind of like the glue holding the family together because her husband is off fighting during the Civil War, fighting for the Union. Thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are in Massachusetts, so <laughs> he is fighting for the North <laughs> during this time of slavery. Uh, so... You know, Laura, like, you know, my initial perception of her was that she's just this really kind person. Like, we see so many beautiful acts of service she does where she's like, "Will you guys give up your breakfast for this poor family over there. They're less fortunate than we are. Um... And I kind of laughed at a certain scene where they're all talking about how they're poor, but they live in this giant house with, like, all these nice things, and they have each other. I'm like, this is poverty back then? Like, this is pretty nice. Like, I kind of want this. Um, So, yeah, they give, you know, their food to the less fortunate, and we even see a scene where Laura Dern is interacting with, you know, the, the veterans from the war and how she takes off her own scarf, hides it into a coat, and then gives it to him, anything that helps you know and Mm -hmm. she's just such a beautiful character and at the same time she says something in the movie where she's like I'm angry all the time like I'm angry every day and we don't see that rage but we see that we can tell that she's discontent with the status quo and how things are we see how things deeply affect her when someone is less fortunate than she is and she tries to rectify it through her actions and Mm -hmm. by instilling those values in her kids what was your initial perception of Laura Dern's character and uh, how she played, you know, Marmee?
1: Yeah, I mean, Laura Dern is an Oscar award winning person. She's been nominated like three times. and I st- still don't think she's won. I, I think she's brilliant. The best um, uh, quote that I think defines her as a mom in Marmy was um, her saying to Joe was like, don't let the sun go down on your anger, Forgive her. Uh, it takes a lot to try to get two sisters who are are fighting and for that type of turmoil to happen. I mean, for me, it would be like someone erasing all of my YouTube videos that I've Mm. made over the past five years. That's what that would be to me. Like, it's all gone, all this work you put into. I would be devastated and I wouldn't know how to get there. Yet, um, Marmy was... She's so genuine in the way that she says it as though... It's not the first time she said, don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning that is a strong point in their home Mm -hmm. that they know that that's not what they do. And I know at that point, Joe was like, no, you've gone too far, which I completely understand. But I think that relates back to Marmee is like, I'm angry every day, but it takes, you know, over 40 years. You learn a lot. And I think it's probably her saying over and over, you know, like don't let the sun go down on your anger. Try to forgive and forget or at least forgive and have that change you in a positive way so you can get through life without being, I think, angry in an outward sense all the time Mm -hmm. and just like, sure, we're all going to be angry, but um, learn to use it in a positive way, which she has totally done.
0: When she said that, I was like, Destroy her, Joe. Mm -hmm. Destroy Amy now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, throw her into the fire. (laughs) Just yeah,
0: don't save her from the from the water. Don't let her drown. No, I'm kidding,
1: but (laughs) we do see this. I feel you. It makes you really mad. I'm so angry, but
0: you know, Laura Dern's character says that, and you're just like, yeah. Like in the grand scheme of things, like this was something that was so precious to Joe, but this is also her sister, and her sister actually does feel remorse. The scene in which she apologizes, though, I was so annoyed. I was like, this is not a good apology. Like, I'm so sorry. When are you going to forgive me? Like, when can I come with you and play? Like, she just felt so immature to me, which is so weird because it feels like, like it's not part of her character to be like that. Because in other contexts, especially when she is you know, playing opposite Timothy Chalamet, she just feels so much more mature and at like a way higher level than Timothy in terms of like demeanor and like how she acts and how she carries herself Mm -hmm. and how she has like this poise and
1: But that's a guy.
0: That's a guy. Right? So with like a
1: sister in your family She's so different. People wanna be wanted so badly by like their family, like moms and dads or your older sister or, or whatever. And then, when if a guy or a partner, a girl, whatever comes along that you're all of a sudden you're like, "I gotta shape up or ship out <laughs> like I gotta try to get this it it becomes like a game right, where I think instinctually your synapses fire a different way, yeah. just like for her, and she's just all of a sudden like Better not show that she's, like, still struggling to become an adult woman. Right. Because she's been waiting for this guy forever. She's like, can't, can't show him I'm crazy. No, nope. Can't do this just Can't yet. show him I'm weak. <laughs> can't show him that I still want approval from my sister. Got to yeah. just show him that, like, you know, I'm here I'm and, stable. like, ready. yeah.
0: Uh, And, you know, she is a woman of talents. Like, I don't want to reduce her to someone who just, you know, likes to wear frilly dresses and play dress up because she's a painter. Like, she has an eye for the finer things in life, but she also has this creativity, just like Joe with writing. She says she wants to be a painter in Rome. And, you know, her paintings are beautiful and it kind of fits her character a bit that she does this because it is kind of like a posh. I guess hobby. Yeah. Um and I don't know the the times that I'm like watching this and I'm seeing her interactions with Timothy Chalamet, I can't tell if there's a connection there because it does feel like, you know, both of them are kind of into each other, but then for a while I kept seeing Timothy Chalamet's character as like, you know, this player who is just going around from woman to woman like wooing them, but we we also see other glimpses of Laurie, uh his name in the movie, Laurie, or Teddy as Joe likes to call him, just like really yearning for this life that these women have. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's kind of like looking in from like his beautiful mansion, like looking in at their circumstances and wishing for that, which is which is odd, you know? Like you come from like riches, but you feel like, wow, I really want to be a part of this family. And it makes sense because, you know, they're kind of opposites where they want wealth and they want to live like this, you know, easier lifestyle and not worry about money. And for him, he has that and he's like, oh, I want, you know, connection and I want to be a part of this family. And he so easily fits into that family. And that's what I loved is how you know, Marmy just accepts him with open arms and even when he pops out during that play scene where they're reciting the play and going through it, he just so easily fits into that character. Um what would you say was your favorite dynamic in terms of like the characters that he interacts with? Like what interactions like stood out to you the most about Laurie? Um I
1: I think that in the beginning, um he's very much a poster boy for a rich cute guy i mean he's like laying on a chaise lounge surrounded by women and a little bit drunk but i think later in the movie um joe has a quote that says uh i i want to be loved it's not about me loving him like i just want to be loved period Mm -hmm. and i think that um it would be the exact same for Lori in that Lori has like the riches and the wealth and he doesn't have to worry, but he doesn't have the love surrounding him like the the women do, like mm-hmm. um, the their family does. Um, and I think that's probably why him and Joe are, uh, they'll be friends forever, but I think that in their hearts, they both want the exact same thing, mm-hmm. which is I don't know that they care so much about being in love or loving someone else, but that they, they want to be loved. Mm-hmm. I think Joe maybe a little bit more because she she wants her writing out there, but um, in regards to Lori, I don't think he's felt that kind of love. I think he's more capable of falling in love than Joe is. Um, but I foresee him as having a, a hard time because throughout his life, I don't think he... He probably has heard, I love you, and stuff like that, but not truly felt it. And when you look at their family, you're like, oh, I feel it, so why don't I have that? Do you and I think th- that's why he chased after him.
0: Do you think he truly felt it when he was confessing his love to Joe? Because I had very mixed feelings about that. I thought it was a very strong performance, but then, you know, he tells Amy, like, two seconds later. <laughs> I don't know where it is in the timeline, but he tells... Amy oh I love you and and this and that um what do you think about his confession of love to Joe and her rejection of that love
1: I think it comes from the place where like what I just said I'm like they are so the same they are like best friends which is why the proposal turns into a fight an argument um They're almost like brother and sister or best friends. Um, And I think that he wants Joe. He fell in love with Joe first. He liked how she's like the strong, independent one. And I think she seems like a nice, shiny thing over here. Kind of outshines the other girls in an intellectual way, which he has a whole library. Like, they don't have that, right? And I think Joe is the first one to be like, Wow, you have this. Like, why would you ever leave when they go to visit his big mansion? Mm-hmm. Um, versus, I think other guys would see like um, Amy as like she outshines them with like femininity and and girl and being like beautiful and put together. Um, and I think uh, he was still young. I think he'll always have a, a a love for Joe, but it's just like anyone, you can fall in love with someone that is probably not your best partner. And you only then realize, like, oh, glad that didn't work out until you actually find a partner that is good and well fit for you. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with Lori and and Amy. Uh, and it's kind of nice to see. I don't think that they're settling because I think it would make me more angry because I mm-hmm. hate it to see that. Um, and I think Amy's conversation with him – in telling him I will not be second to Joe Right. puts it up as I think she won't be second to Joe and the reason why she sticks with Lori is because she became his number one
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I like that because I think that happens probably in real life more than we would I don't know know or care to know or ask yeah. I doubt anyone out there is going to be like, "Hey, uh, I was number two for a long time. Then I became number one." But I, we actually, I actually feel that I am number one to him or her.
0: Yeah, I feel like I've watched enough episodes of The Bachelor to know that this happened. Sure, yeah. Plan, so. <laughs> um, but that's a really interesting point because I was so stuck in that for a while while I was watching it, and like so frustrated and like just hurt, like seeing you know Saoirse Ronan write that letter to Teddy uh to Lori and you know then we see that he never gets the letter and you're just like ugh like get the letter like i like, this is so frustrating and then she tears up the letter and is so supportive of Amy you know, being with him, and then you just realize, again, the timeline, oh, this was way, way before the age where you can just pick up a phone and call, or you could, like, get a car and, like, run in time, like, there is, like, this, this lag of time where you just get to marinate in your thoughts and your feelings and the separation, which must be so tough, especially when, you know, Amy's in Europe, you know, they're here in Massachusetts, and then there's the lack of communication because of, you know, the the setting of the 1800s and, you know, the lack of technology, so it's, like, the, the pacing and the, the amount of time it takes to, like, realize these things, it just, it, like, hits that message home even harder of, like, oh, like, you know, timing is kind of everything, too, and, you know, maybe, like, the things that have happened are really a blessing in disguise, maybe also, You know, you should have been more honest about what you you wanted if you really felt that way in the moment. But she, I do think with Joe, she has this identity that she feels like she has to maintain of being this strong, you know, female that doesn't need a man. And I think she almost succumbs to it. And what I loved the most about this movie is that, you know, even in the trailers, you see, uh, you know, the editor, Mr. Dashwood, saying okay, so if you're writing a story about a female character, make sure she's married at the end.
1: Or is dead. Yes, or is dead. That's the punchline right there. <laughs> or is
0: dead. It's one or the other, right? And you're just like, okay, I mean, it's it's more than just that. If you're a woman, like, there's other things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that I felt like I kind of needed the payoff of her Having another man in the picture, even if she doesn't marry him, just having that as a possibility to show that if something doesn't work out, you know, there's always something better in store that you might not have even realized. You just have to get out of it. And almost like that notion of, like, focusing on yourself and your work first, mm-hmm. which is what she does. You know, she focuses on that and then other things come later. And I thought that was so beautiful, too. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about uh, some other themes here. Uh, you know, obviously marriage as an economic transaction, uh, is love a choice? And because uh, these are like themes that were also brought up in the middle of the movie. And I know that you have some quotes yeah. that you want to read out um, loud. So. Why don't we
1: pull those up? So there is one specifically um, that has to do with uh, marriage as an economic proposition. Um I'll wait for our engineer to pull it up on the screen. Otherwise, I do have it on my phone.
0: Yes, Um, we can do that as well.
1: Oh, uh, got it. And I'm saying oh to myself. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, So, uh, it's a conversation about... um, Now, this quote was actually written the day of shooting on a piece of paper by Greta Gerwig after having a conversation with Meryl Streep that there needs to be more of a conversation between um, uh, that has to do with how hard it is for women during this time. And then this speech was specifically wrote, and no joke, they said it was written an hour before on a napkin and then it was filmed. So um, uh, I will read it for you. I'm just a woman, she tells Lori. So this is Amy. Talking to Lori, and as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money, not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband and the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. Um, which I thought beautifully outlined uh, the, I don't know, the struggles of women back then in regards to marriage and having kids. Uh, It was very different, and uh, I think it's very cool that Meryl Streep brought it up. Greta Gerwood took her advice, wrote a paragraph on the spot, and there you have one of the most uh, quotable things from that movie.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting that Meryl Streep's character brought that up, Aunt Marge, Um, Because her character, you know, she's a a rich woman who doesn't Mm -hmm. need a man. And the irony of that is, you know, she says, I intend to make my, you know, Joe tells Aunt March, I intend to make my own way in the world. Aunt March says, no one makes their way, least of all a woman. You need to marry well. And Joe replies, but you're not married, Aunt March. Aunt march you know finally replies well that's because i'm rich so the whole you know notion of this being like an economic proposition is so real especially during that time i mean even nowadays uh oftentimes you know people do see marriage as like some sort of economic transaction uh you know prenups yeah <laughs> that's why prenuptial agreements exist to, to kind of prevent that um and so, yeah, I thought that was, like, such an interesting point of the movie to show that there is, like, class involved, but despite that, Amy still decides to not marry the man who has the wealth that could give her the life she wants because she knows that she doesn't truly love him the way she has the potential to love, and I thought that was such a bold decision, especially given that she has a conversation with her Aunt March stating that you know, you, Amy, are going to be the person to take care of your family because your crazy, like, clueless sister Meg decided to marry someone uh, who can't give her the life she wants. How are you going to take care of your mom or your sisters, or you know, when they're older? And that was interesting that despite even, like, having that drilled into her, she still decided to leave. And in so doing with, like, other factors that came into play, she ended up being with Lori, which was so interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of it's kind of crazy how how things work out like that um
1: luckily, Lori still has a little bit of money yes, uh, yes he does but i I do think that even with that um economic proposition is where this quote comes in is that joe is talking to marmy um and she's talking about the proposal that um laurie uh gave to her and joe mart says uh, perhaps i was too quick in turning him down and marmy says do you love him and she says if he asked me again i think i would say yes do you think he'll ask me again and marmy being a good mom but do you love him Mm -hmm. Joe says I know that I care more about being loved I want to be loved which I think we can all relate to Marmee says that is not the same as loving and it finishes off with Joe saying women they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and I'm so sick of people saying that love is all just a woman is fit for I'm so sick of it but I am so lonely um So I think that really highlights how she is the one that's like, hey, I get all this marriage stuff and I know what people are telling me in this family and what may be right to do. But she is most certainly the one that is like fed up to a point of like, I want to be viewed in a completely different way. And I think she's the strongest one that will that does end up taking the biggest risk and will always even as a child to be known as like ambitious talented and beautiful and all doing it without a man because she doesn't need to be viewed with um you know what most people would view as you have a missing link as a woman at that time if a man is not by your side um and i think that's a very good quote there
0: yeah, that that scene made me really emotional actually, like just watching that, like just like the the rawness of it and the honesty and, you know, having, you know, feelings that kind of contradict each other, like not wanting to give in to, you know, society's expectations, but at the same time feeling this inevitable loneliness of every single one of your sisters kind of I don't want to say succumbing to those societal expectations, but, you know, following that path because that's what they want and you feeling like you're left behind, you know, your sister passed away, you have your mom, but all of your other sisters are also gone, living their lives, being happily in love, and you're just here on the side trying to make it as a writer mm-hmm. in a very tough industry and, you know, in a male-dominated industry where even your own mother doesn't want you to use your own name um, when you're writing these stories. Um, I also love, like, the meta factor of her writing a book about little women Mm -hmm. and, you know, her kind of, like, you know, winking to the camera a little bit metaphorically and saying, like, uh well, well who's going to, like, read a book about that? Like, just women doing what? And, like, we think about the plot of this movie and what it's about, and, like, it's so hard to explain even what it's about when you're like, oh, what's Little Women about? It's just about, like, these sisters and, you know, their interactions set during the Civil War. doesn't sound too captivating <laughs> when you hear the plot. It really right. doesn't. So yeah. I think to myself, well, what makes it such a great story? It's just, like the rawness and the beauty of the interactions, the dialogue is incredible being Mm -hmm. adapted from a movie, from a book written in the 1860s and to have dialogue that sounds so authentic and real that still stands the test of time in the modern day. Um, And I know we have to wrap up soon. You know, I'm not surprised that, you know, for the audience reception on Rotten Tomatoes, 92%. uh, Critics reception, 95% Rotten Tomatoes. You know, this is a film directed by Greta Gerwig, screenplay by Greta Gerwig. Uh, uh music by uh Alexander Desplat, uh d- beautiful directing, uh beautiful production value. It's already grossed, you know, millions at the box office. I believe it was a forty million budget, but they've already made everything back, you know, within a month so quickly. Uh, do you have any final thoughts about this movie?
1: I think that her line there at the very end where she says, but I'm sick of it, I'm so sick of it but I am so lonely. I think a lot of women get there and then they end up settling. Um, And she does not and I thoroughly appreciate that and I hope that for everyone out there, guy or girl, um, that when you're chasing after whatever you're doing and maybe you're sick of the normal tropes and you're lonely, uh, don't give up and don't settle because uh it's not going to be good down the road so take little women's advice specifically joe March's.
0: i love that you know don't settle in any aspect of your life especially that end of the movie where she's negotiating her contract for the book little women and you know she's learning about copyright and she doesn't know what copyright is and uh you know Mr. Dashwood is like, "Oh, I'll pay $500 for copyright." And she's like, "Hmm, that sounds like something I might want to own." So you know what? We're going to do uh I'm going to own the copyright. You can save your $500 and I would like this much percentage in royalties. They end up negotiating at 6.6% of the royalties of the book. And I was so proud of her in that moment negotiating in a man's world, something where she's like, "I think I would like to own the rights to my own book." and, you know, such a powerful scene. I got so emotional at the end, I started tearing up where, you know, she kind of, like, feels the success of, like, ha- like having her book published, and you see the binding, and it says Little Women. I got so emotional. I loved it, um, and it really inspired me. It brought me back to thinking about J.K. Rowling, and, you know, how hard it was for her to be a female author, even in this day and age, like in the 90s, and how that was a struggle. So, it's such a relatable theme. Um, beautiful story. Love the theme of, like, never settling and just being authentic and true to yourself and, you know, the setting of the Civil War. All of the characters involved. Like, you know, shout out to such an amazing cast. Like, we have Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, Saoirse Ronan. Uh, We have this amazing dream team of of women. And at the same time like you know Meryl Streep doesn't even steal the show you have like one of the most famous actresses she doesn't steal the show uh I think Saoirse Ronan does but uh yeah I'm excited to see how this performs at the Academy Awards like if it gets nominated today uh if it wins awards and you know thank you so much for tuning in with us guys uh, I would love for you to leave your uh, analysis in the comment section below. Tell us if you enjoyed Little Women as much as we did and what stood out to you the most about this film. I wish I watched it during Christmas, during the holidays, but I think this was exactly the warmth that I needed yesterday, so I'm happy. Um, with that being said... Uh, Thank you so much for joining me, Yeah, This has
1: been a great conversation. Love the quotes that you read. Thanks for having me here. Love anatomy of a movie. Um, You guys know where to find me. I'm Tara Erickson. That's T-A-R-A-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Find me especially on YouTube. I'm at Tara Erickson on Instagram, at the Tara Erickson on Twitter. I am DB me. Uh, You can watch my movie on Lifetime called The Twisted Nanny. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Tara. And I am your host, Mina
0: Nadine. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Magic. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you all next week.
1: Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.